Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. Friday's radio that would be author and friend to the show, Miss Parker J. Cole, who has a new book dropping on this January twenty eighth, known as Many Strange Women. So stay tuned for a phenomenal, phenomenal novel. It's Christian based. So as you know, this is the month that is about life. So this scripture has even more significant meaning. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you in your seed might live. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity for Pro-Life Fridays Radio, Lord God, as we continue in our battle to bring the message of the sanctity of all life, whether it's from the unborn to the elderly, the human trafficking, the persecution of Christians and many other religious groups. It's about life, Lord. So, Father, I thank you for my fellow hosts, the phenomenal work that they do both on this show and actually in action at the abortion clinics, sidewalk counseling, and just praying. So, Father, we ask that you bless our guest, Terry, today. May it May it provide information and may it just help stir people's hearts down and do something. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All righty. Like I say every week, what on the docket that we have to talk about is so full, it's hard to pick the kind of stories that we should present on the show, and sometimes it's almost like random. And some of them are the ones that I pick that, for me, to talk about, uh, are just the ones that kind of show how our laws are rapidly evolving to the point they're going to collide with one another. And the story that I have uh, that I want to talk about, or just one of the stories that I wanted to talk about today, is of the court-ordered sperm donor to pay child support story. Did you guys hear about that one? Yes. Uh, no. Oh, yes. you're going to love this. Uh, this is on CNN, actually. I'm not going to play the audio because I think uh, we're going to get much more out of the written, the written text here. Uh, judge ruled in, I believe this was in Kansas, yes, in Kansas, Topeka, ruled that Kansas. William Marotta... William Murata must pay child support even though he was just a sperm donor to a lesbian couple wanting a child, and he signed documents waiving his parental rights. The article, the news story goes on to say that he failed to, the Murata failed to conform to Kansas law, according to the judge, uh, which says a licensed physician must be involved in an artificial insemination process. And uh, apparently this was all done kind of behind <laughs> behind closed doors. And his claim is that he should not have to be, be held responsible for the welfare of this child because he signed a document, apparently, saying that he wouldn't be responsible for this. So uh, how the story goes, uh, if you haven't, if you've heard this, uh, you thought, oh wow, what a screwy story. Uh, oh, it's it's much worse than that. Uh, let me let me see if I can just mess this up for you a little more. So let's start from the beginning. A lesbian couple wants a baby. Nature okay. biology is against them, against their wishes and desires. How? dare that mother nature man she's a homophobe well here just a hint if two people want to make a baby it helps if one of them is a dude just saying so they find a dude on craigslist because that's what craigslist is really for if you haven't caught on by now 
so this dude agrees to donate. Oh, uh, oh but <laughs> but not the most efficient way like banks do with the direct deposit. But he donates by the cupful. The law says in Kansas says that artificial insemination without a licensed doctor to be the middleman <clears throat> isn't fully legal because the lesbian couple, I imagine, consulted Dr. Turkey Baster, who is, of course, not licensed to practice medicine in the state of Kansas. So according to the law, only the right third party can be involved in the process that normally and naturally takes place without a third party to begin with. Stick, well, stick that up on the board. Okay, just stick that up on the board. So William Murata signed an agreement. I, I don't know what he signed it on. It just says documents. I don't even, but you know, what, is, what was it? A piece of notebook paper? Signed something <laughs> to waive all parental rights and responsibilities for any child that was born from his genetic donation. And I'm wondering, is it so easy to waive one's rights? I wonder. Can it be that easy? I mean, can you even can you write it on a napkin? Even I mean, what legal process did these people use, or did they? I mean, apparently they fell down on the Dr. Turkey Baster <laughs> thing. Did any of the adults involved even think about this past the Turkey Baster stage? Can paper napkin agreements ever be taken seriously about matters that involve producing a child? I don't know. Well, let's stick that one up on the board. Okay. It turns out, you know, they didn't. Thus, a state judge has declared Murata's signed agreement with the women that he waives all parental rights to the child as deemed invalid. Now, keep in mind that the women did not want him to have any parental rights. So, you know, even though the agreement was mutually assented to by two parties, it can be rendered invalid. Stick mm. that one up on the board, too. Then the lesbian couple splits up and one goes on welfare to support the child, who is, uh, by today, she's four. Okay, so much for conforming to the happy, just like a nuclear family picture that we are told is what homosexuals aspire to and achieve. Well, instead, they are like every couple made of two self-absorbed individuals who just wants what she wants, a couple that splits on so-called irreconcilable differences, although, you know, that they were never a legal couple to begin with, so because Kansas doesn't have same-sex marriage, so they didn't have a real divorce. So, mm -hmm. you know, they can't have a nasty divorce on top of a, same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. So you can you can take that for what that's worth. No nasty divorce. And <laughs> never mind that there is still a child here whose care really supersedes your desires and hormones. But I digress. So here is where the state got involved. It doesn't want to pay welfare anymore for a child whose unofficially official moms won't work for her sake. The state can't force anyone in this situation to pay child support, except the one who has a biological connection to this child. That's hmm. right. 
William Murata, in spite of all the shenanigans to disavow responsibility, he's the baby daddy, and no one can say otherwise. What happened here? What happened here? What happened here is that the judge reaffirmed biology and natural law. You know, the law Mm -hmm. that says only men can write their names in the snow as if they can spell. I mean, if they can spell. Sorry. (laughs) Meaning that children don't come from storks. That DNA Mm -hmm. matters. That a man's act means something even if he doesn't think so. Right. So like every <laughs> so like every other pro life story out there, did anyone think about what was in the best interest of the baby? The child of course whose not. existence No. The child whose existence not. is the whole impetus for the sordid tale. The sordid tale. Blah. I, mm-hmm. I you know, I for once I actually applaud this state for being consistent and looking to nature to answer for this child. Mm-hmm. So um, the moral of the story, ladies and gentlemen, is don't answer Craigslist ads for your DNA. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but you know, seriously, um, what fascinates me the most, and I, I know this is going to sound like I'm a total curve here. Watch me here. Watch me kill our audience right here, right now is uh, what I think is most fascinating about this is the Dr. Turkey Baster, or whatever instrument the mother used. I'm, I'm going to say Turkey Baster to cover it all. This so whole she did story. It she, she, did it, she didn't use a doctor? Nope. <laughs> so, <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. This is homebrew. Wait, wait a minute. Homebrew, girl. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold up. Oh, time out. So <laughs> let me let me make sure I got this correct. <clears throat> Deposit in cup, insert syringe, and do itself. <laughs> right, got you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this what? whole story. Oh, goodness. The fact that it is even a story <laughs> depends upon the God-forsaken turkey baster. Wow. Do you get wow. that? Do you get that? This story would not exist anywhere in the news, much less CNN, you know, if there were no turkey baster involved. Think about that. Think about that. You so, remove the turkey baster, would we even be talking about this? No. No, not at all. probably not. <laughs> But the fact, hold up, I'm just trying to wrap, I'm just trying to wrap my mind, my head around this. She used... Or something. something, I'm just just using turkey basers to cover whatever it was. Something similar, yeah, in function. Okay. I hope she sterilized it. What? Oh, I yeah, I'm going to have to plead to Hillary and say, what difference does it make? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I was hoping about, would there be any question about who should pay child support if there right. were no turkey baster? No. There wouldn't be any question. <laughs> would the fact that the women were involved were a couple of lesbians, lesbians even be important? 
if there were no, no. turkey baster. No, I, nope. I gotta stop. I gotta stop there. This is the end of absurdity, and and you know, there's really no more for me to say about this. Thank God, after killing off our audience. Okay, speaking of turkey basters, Wendy Davis. She's uh, being turkey basted. Sorry, <laughs> I had to say that. Oh, uh, I have a clip She's somewhere. Being Let me roasted. find it. Oh, I have a clip about uh, Wendy Davis, the Wendy Davis story, and everything that has come out about her this week. Let me play this clip from my friend uh, who appeared on Fox News yesterday, I believe, to talk about the Wendy Davis case. And she uh, makes a really good point about things, about how um, Wendy Davis is talking about her her troubles in the media and blaming them on wheelchair-bound Greg Abbott, saying that this is coming from, this is an attack on her from him. And the evidence seems to show he had nothing to do with it, but this is what she's sticking by. She, she doubled down on what she said first and then blamed him again. Uh, she says, no false attack can take away my story, and neither can any sleazy political trick. She says, uh, Greg Abbott's desperate attacks proves that he doesn't understand these Texas stories about struggle. And she says, you're damn right, it's a true story, what I've told. But the thing is, Dana, it is, it is not true. It, it, the bulk of it is true, but she got caught misleading about, you know, yes, when she got a divorce and how long she lived in a trailer park. And the, the, the main one is whether she really did, in fact, put herself through school, which now we find out it was her now ex-husband who put her through the last two years of undergraduate and Harvard Law School. And he testified that it was the day after he made the final school loan payment that she left right. him. Exactly, and she is, didn't even have custody of her children. In fact, Jeff Davis said in another article that she told him, and he quoted her as saying, it's not a good time for me right now. I mean, was she just struggling as a single parent in Boston going to Harvard? The real story of single parenthood here, Megan, is Jeff Davis. Jeff Davis is a better single mother than Wendy Davis apparently is. He's a great single father, and single fathers don't get enough credit, and that's the single parenthood that should be celebrated in this story. I mean, she wants to say that her story is unique, or, or not unique, rather. It, it really actually is quite unique. Okay. Uh, wow. Wendy Davis, who did not use a turkey baster to conceive either of her children, is found to be much the vision of 21st century feminism that I have always suspected that 21st century feminism is. Uh her, the story of her life broke down this week as news reporters found out that her claims to single motherhood haven't been quite as single or motherly as she claims. Mm -hmm. uh, true, she was a young mother at 19 whose first divorce came at around 21, but then she claims she has, had been working since she was 14 uh, for her dad's business and lived in a trailer park uh, with family members, you know, not exactly the life of utter hardship she paints. And next, she wants to claim she was a hardworking mom who went to law school, but the reality is she left her family in Texas to attend Harvard Law by herself, or mostly by herself. She'll probably want to say, you know, I did spend some time with my family, but for mostly she was by herself sticking her husband with the bill and loan payments. Hmm, nice. 
And when he paid her last bill, her last loan payment off, I mean, she packed up, moved out, and filed for divorce and left her mm-hmm. kids a second time. As uh, as other, and this was in uh, the first story about her law school and her 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 past came out in the in the local paper. I believe it was the Houston. And maybe I have that wrong. Dallas Morning Star, something like that. And the rest rest of this came out on blogs and on um, uh, more reporters digging up the the papers on her, digging up her the circumstances around her divorce, interviewing Jeff Davis. So a lot of this comes from firsthand knowledge. So, um, yeah, as other has, others have pointed out this week, it is her ex-husband, Jeff Davis, who should be crying single parent in this story because mm-hmm. he has been the one to parent two kids, one not even being his biological daughter. So, you know, this is what I think is the apex of 21st century feminism. It's women claiming to be strong, self-made, and independent, but really fabricating it all on the money of a sugar daddy and pushing parental responsibilities aside in order to climb the ladder of political success. Mm-hmm. The leftists in this country are holding her up as the face of feminism. Uh, use men to get what you want. Leave your family and yeah, portion. Yeah, you know, funny how she is the kind of woman the early feminists <laughs> repudiated. But what do I know? I've never accused a man in a wheelchair of never having walked in my shoes. <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> early <laughs> feminism. <laughs> early right. feminism repudiated abortion. They did. Right. Susan, I mean, the reason that Susan B. Anthony she spoke very clearly about that. Abortion is, I mean, you can't call yourself a woman who's strong and is able to take care of things and yet kill your own children. You know, feminism doesn't stand for that. And it isn't particularly feminist to say you don't like whatever is fundamentally male in society and then go do the kind of things that sleazeball men do to women unless, unless, you're trying to prove that equality in feminism means that women are supposed to be as big as a bleep, let's just say SOB, as the men they hate. Yeah, you, know, well, then you with, can have all the quality you want. I was going to say, with with the modern feminist movement, the ultra uh, f- feminists that we see today, um, motherhood is, is a form of servitude. And we hear this in the language about abortion that, um, carrying a child is involuntary servitude or slavery of some sort. So motherhood itself is not valued in any respect. So why would they? Why would she stick around and take care of her children? You know, it's what? they're they keep you from achieving your dreams. They're leeches. They're parasites. This is the language that we continually hear in the from the pro-choice camp, which she proudly represents. So this is this actually is consistent with her worldview. Right, it is, it is, and and I don't know why people kind of, especially Democrat women, just like her, I mean, they don't see the inconsistency in their in their practices. I want to be a strong yeah, and independent woman. They they do see it. Well, maybe they, they do, do, but I think they're they they're they're operating they despite that. 
Right. Yes, exactly. Can I ask a question? I'm raising my hand and you can't see it. <laughs> Go ahead. So, um, and it kind of segue into something I want to mention. Um, there was the NARAL president who was de- who was debating on uh, Saint. What it was it after birth abortion or yeah. Uh, yeah, that lady. Yeah, that lady. And um, just this week. So my question. Yeah, just this week the article came out. Just this week I posted it on Facebook. But um, my question is this: and they're pushing for after birth abortion. Does that extend on up to the um, the Ignorance of some individuals who are pro-abort, are they eligible for after-birth abortions, too, or is that just a baby? Oh, I get what you're going at. Yeah, I mean, well, there is, that's, that's, that's the logical end. It really is. I mean, if a person like Peter Singer says, you know, if you lose your, your, uh, your human worth, in society, you become a useless human being, then, right. you know, you are not really fit for anything. You can live off the mercy of other human beings and remain alive, but there isn't any reason to keep you alive. We can just call it an afterbirth abortion. Really? You know, maybe 90 years so, after birth? So. <laughs> yeah, so basically we can determine that the comments that people like Peter North make is makes deems him unworthy and fit for the human species so we can eliminate him. You can put any criteria in there you want, yeah. Right. My whole point in making that statement is just showing the whole absurdness of them going after after birth abortion in that they don't realize that if they try to limit it to babies, their arguments will collapse right there because uh, in, its, in its truest form, after birth abortion is murder. Well, yeah. Before, so, but they don't probably don't want to call it that. Too. They probably so what don't would they call it, it then? Post-birth they abortion? Call it, they might call it. They've uh, the the bioethicists. Funny you should bring this up. Bioethicists have all kinds of words for these things. You know, and Belgium just uh, legalized euthanasia for children. They can call it after-birth abortion. They can call it post-natal birth abortion. They call it. They can even call it, you know, tongue-in-cheek, of course, but I'm saying, uh, a fourth trimester abortions. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and which, <laughs> which I've heard has, that one. That, that meant to be a joke, but you really, what I've is it? I've actually heard a, that comment. That's clever. Whoever came up with I wish I could take credit for that, but I can't. Uh, yeah, we can call it by all kinds of names. We can call people useless eaters. We can call people uh, a drag on society. And we can Wait, eliminate... don't they already do that? Don't they already yeah. do that? Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> of course. Wow. Well, okay. <laughs> Moving on. Um, this is prob- this is what I talked about in our, our our written promo on Facebook, which I really uh, this is the story that I am the most excited about, and uh, which is a Nigerian woman uh, wrote. Well, I, you know what? I'd like to hire her to write all my essays and papers and correspondence for me for the rest of my life. And what she has done, she's written Melinda Gates, you know, the wife of Bill Gates, an open letter refusing to accept the Gates Foundation birth, con- birth control measures. I am duly impressed by what she's written because she just hammers over and over again, that Melinda Gates's $4.6 billion, not something to blink at, is really a Trojan horse-sized condom to inject the first world problems into their third world countries and not leave right. an ounce of humanity left in Africa. So I'm going to take a few uh, quotes out of her letter because it is a lengthy letter and it's all good. I, rem- I would recommend people look it up uh, i'll put it up in our chat room the link up in our chat room but it's uh on catholic on it's written on catholic online and she says unlike what we see in the developed western world here's here's that first dig bang there is actually a very high compliance with pope paul the sixth uh, i'm sorry pope paul the sixth humana vitae and she's referring to pope um the the Catholic teaching, because she's Catholic, for these African women, in all humility, have heard, understood, and accepted the precious words of the prophetic Pope. Funny how people with a much lower literacy level could clearly understand that which the average Vogue and Cosmo reading high-class women has refused to understand. I guess humility makes all the difference. Ow! Wow, that ought to sting. But she's not done yet. The, she goes on to say, the moment these huge amounts of contraceptive drugs, that's what the $4.6 billion is going to buy for them. Not, you know, It's not going to buy them food. It's not going to buy them shelter. It's not going to buy anybody shoes. It's going to buy things like Depo-Provera. And we've talked about Depo-Provera. It's going to buy the pill. It's going to buy all kinds of contraceptive drugs and devices. When they are injected to the roots of our society, she says, they will undoubtedly start to erode and poison the moral sexual ethics that have been woven into our societal DNA by our faith, not unlike the erosion that befell the Western world after the 1930 Lambeth Conference. In one fell swoop, and one clean slice, the faithful could be severed from their professed faith. Both the frontline healthcare worker dispensing Melinda's legacy gift and the women fettered and shackled by this gift would be separated from their religious beliefs. They would be put in a precarious position to defy their faith, all for, quote-unquote, safe sex. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just looking. Somebody's, somebody's getting beat over the head with this. And I love it. She, a couple more quotes because I, I think this is just 
nail on the head again and again. She goes on to say, and of course, there are bound to be inconsistencies and failures in the use of these drugs and devices. So health complications could result, one of which is unintended abortion. Add also other health risks, such as cancer, blood clots, etc. And as a person in a first world country knows, we do have those problems. And they are directly linked to contraceptive use. Okay, where Europe and America have their well-oiled health care system, eh, sort of, a woman in yeah. Africa with a contraceptive-induced a contraception-induced blood clot does not have access to 911 or an ambulance or a paramedic. No, she dies. Mm-hmm. And that's 100% right. true. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Last one. I see this $4.6 billion buying us misery. I see it buying us unfaithful husbands. I see it buying us streets devoid of the innocent chatter of children. I see it buying us disease and ultimately death. I see it buying us a retirement without the tender, loving care of our children. I couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have said it better myself because that is what reflecting on Pouring into a society all these contraceptive measures, devices, and chemicals is what results. She's what Bill and Melinda Gates are bringing, want to bring to Africa, are our first world problems and making them the problems of the third world, which has no way of protecting itself against those problems. It would devastate Africa in the uh, 69 countries that the Gates Foundation wants to spend time putting contraceptives in. And not only that, she goes, part of, the, part of her letter talks about what would happen to all this medical waste that using these contraceptives will produce. They don't have Western plumbing like we do here. And where is all the medical waste going to go? The biggest, the bigger cities in Africa already pollute, you know, in general. And those little villages and towns that live downstream from them have to put up with that. You know, are the Gates is the Gates Foundation going to also clean, provide money for waste disposal? Are they going to send a barge, you know, and ship off all the medical waste? That goes with whatever happens. The, are they going to help bury bodies? I don't. I don't know that that's in their budget for that. And I'm probably. I'm guessing that it isn't. Letitia. Letitia. Yeah. <laughs> Can I be snarky for a minute? If you want. Okay. Melinda Gates, along with her husband, Bill, are two very vile and evil individuals. Their whole purpose in this contraceptive kick 
and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but for those of you who might be listening and don't know this, they want to eliminate the population. Keep in mind that they were also part of the process that sent malaria vaccine to Africa that so far I think they said has killed 60 million children. So my my whole my whole attitude towards them is that you may have a billion billions of dollars but your money doesn't make you invincible and you will give account at the end of your life to God. So you reap what you sow. But as long as there's a Pro-Life Friday radio of a Tikka, Melissa, and a Thomas, we're going to fight against you. And God bless that woman in Nigeria, Nigeria who wrote that letter. Or was it Kenya? It, she was Nigerian. Okay. It was Nigerian. And her, if, let me try to pronounce her name. Her name is Obianuju Ekeocha. Sorry if I completely, completely and totally butchered that. Uh, but, you know, she, she speaks, I think she speaks very wisely for, for all of the women in Africa that don't have the kind of problems we have to deal with here in our little, right. you know, safe and wonderful first world. You know, I, I mean, if you wanted to give a snarky response, you could say, oh, how dare that this woman, you know, she's so uneducated, you know, don't you, doesn't, don't you know that... You know, Melinda Gates is, knows better than you with her all her white, rich money. You know, she's going to come yeah. here and fix all your problems. You, know, you need to <laughs> yeah. listen to her. Yeah. Uh-huh. Obviously, she knows more than you do. What do you know about contraception? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, the, so the, if you go online and read her letter. Who volunteers to get her for an interview? Maybe. Maybe so. Yeah. Good idea. Well, she goes on to say, she goes on to say in her letter, and the very last thing I'm going to share about is she has one, let me count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, six points that $4.6 billion could actually help and make African women, give African women the opportunities for any kind of advancement. I mean, instead of contraception is your answer, I mean, she talks about having good health care because we know abortion is not health (laughs) care. Real health care, helping women actually have more babies, not fewer of them, healthier babies, food programs for young children so they don't die of starvation, Mm -hmm. higher education opportunities, I mean, at the very yeah. least, Oprah opened but, a school. But Letitia, Oprah opened a school, and it was open season on the girls because they didn't they didn't vet the teachers that they hired for the school. So there's and um, yeah, there's more to opening a school than than unlocking a door. I agree. Exactly. So. But you know, in in your last point that you said about um, about the the six points that he had that the money could be used, according to our distinguished 
Supreme Court Justice, um, what's her name, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we need to make sure that we use abortion and all that stuff to keep the population down of those that we don't want so many of. Right. Um, the operative word in that is the word particularly. Uh, you know, the exact quote that's that she right. had is we do not want, um, she said particularly of those populations we don't want too many of. And it's the word exactly. particularly that's a little bit bothersome. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's a very good point. obviously she wasn't referring to herself. Mm-mm. Right. You know, it's interesting that we here in the West continually um, are, are trying to push just this immorality on the African continent. It's, I just, I don't see this as a coincidence, and we we see this with um, President Obama with the, um, you know, the whole same-sex marriage tour and all these sort of things. Um, in, in Africa, and, and you actually, like the letter that you read, there is a resistance um, because, mm. <clears throat> you know, yeah. we look at these people as, you know, less civilized, and, you know, we know better, and, you know, we've, we're advanced, and we have birth control, and, and homosexuality is okay here, and these sort of things, but they have, a, there's a strong moral Christian core in Africa um, yep. that can see through, um, you know, the crap, you know, for better words, you know, and they understand yeah. that that this mora- immorality that is um, that we're bringing over would will ruin their nation just like we're ruined, will ruin their continent, right. um, as if they don't have enough issues already. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a strong moral Christian core there that that is fighting back these um, progressive ideas, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Right. You, you know, mean you mean to tell me. You mean to tell me there are strong, independent-minded, thinking women that are standing up to the status quo that is being forced on them by big money from the West, and they're, they're, they're thinking for themselves. How dare they? I know. We know better. <laughs> and the, hey, you know, the uh... paternalism is just flagrant. It is flagrant, and I can't understand why nobody sees it that way because it is so flagrant. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Hey, let me let me jump in here for a minute because I want to reply to something that you said, um, Melissa. In talking about the strong moral Christian code, you know something is up when you have someone who is considered a despot and a dictator, Assad in Syria, who's protecting the Christians while our own president is arming the rebels who are killing the Christians. It's the same with the Egyptian military. The Egyptian military is protecting the Coptic Christians in Egypt from the Muslim Brotherhood who we armed. Well, that's why I said it's not a coincidence because it's it's abundantly clear that our president is trying to stamp out any um, Christian influence in our country, but that's not good enough. He's now uh, moving that agenda across the world, and we see that in Africa particularly. Well, it's like I said earlier, I, I, I pray that he 
come to us knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ. But if not, honestly, I would not want to be him. Right. I, <laughs> I hate to put it like that. But hey. Well, we're going to go to a break for a couple of minutes while we try to find our guest. Hopefully uh, she's not lost somewhere in cyberspace. But in honor of Wendy Davis, I'm going to give her our royal, royal Joe Biden treatment because she had a Joe Biden gaff-tastic moment. So here's to you, Wendy Davis. The number to call in is 760-542-3907. Our lines are open. And we are back with a special guest of mine who I have just fallen in love with her and her family. I've said so before over and over again. And uh, she helped support me when I started doing my seminars on navigating pro-life pitfalls, media pitfalls. I'll get it right one of these days. Um, And... 
she has worked tirelessly on a couple of things that I thought have been a fabulous, fabulous providential work in the state of Missouri. Um, as you know, uh, my friend Angie Grog's daughter has was the victim of rape a couple of years ago and became pregnant from that rape. And so far from it being something that knocked them down, they struggled with it. They overcame the just the thoughts of ha- needing to abort a child. And today they have a wonderful granddaughter. Her daughter has a wonderful son who's cute as a button. But, the, the, I mean, that was how going through what they went through just to get through the pregnancy and the childbirth was kind of the beginning of a, a long set of circumstances. And it led to her finding out that in the state of Missouri that we did not have a law that protected women who were pregnant from rape from their rapists who wanted to claim custody of their children. And you think that's crazy. What would a rapist want to do with a child? Well, you know, think a little more nefariously, and you'll come with the answer. So, you know, well, I welcome my friend Angie back onto the show, and she's going to tell us a little bit about the fight to get legislation passed to protect mothers and their children who um, are victims of rape. So welcome to the show, Angie. Hey, Latricia. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here tonight. I'm glad you're here. Okay. So me, All right. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, so I was going to ask you to tell us um, what this legislative journey has been like for you. What were you trying to do? What did you discover that needed to be done? And you know, you're you went after it and you got it. And where you are, you where you are you right now? Um, okay, well, once everything kind of calmed down after the initial shock of Piper's rape and pregnancy, we went, um, I actually met Rebecca Kipling, and she told me there was no laws in our state, and that to expect that this rapist would come back, because they normally do. And I didn't believe her, so I called our attorney, and she laughed and said the same thing. She said, well, of course. They have custody, they have rights. Just because of the way the child was conceived means nothing. So I immediately called back Rebecca Kiesling and asked her what she would suggest I do. And she just gave me an outline of what I could do and the steps to take. And Leticia, is, is there something going on? I have a bad reverb. Um, you might have. I heard a lot of background noise. Yeah, I can't hear. I'm hearing. I'm only hearing me speak as I speak. Okay. It it might be the room you're in. Okay. Uh, I've but, moved three uh, rooms. Three rooms. Okay. <laughs> it's but, coming, um, it could just be the. Okay. Uh, but you're coming through just fine. Now. Okay. Okay. All right. Sorry. Um. So I. I met with my local representative and I explained our situation and I asked him if he would help sponsor a bill to protect women in the state of Missouri who conceive and rape. 
Um, he says he was not capable of this because he was just a farmer. But he would contact a few of his friends in the house that were attorneys. And so that's where Jay Barnes came into our lives. And he helped us, and after we met with him, and he helped formulate the bill. Of course, we wanted to use our model legislation. Um, they, of course, did not do that at first. And hold on one second. I'm, I'm really not hearing you. Okay. Okay. Hopefully this will be better. Um, so we, we formulated a bill. They put it through um, the different selection committees and whatnot, and it made it to the Judiciary Committee, and I testified before the Judiciary Committee. We had a unanimous support for the bill that we had put together. However, um, it, went, it got put on the sidelines in the state of Missouri. And because of what happened with and they ended up passing our bill, and it came into law of August 2012, and we were really happy with it. It's a good start. It's not the bill that we started with, but you know what? It's a work in progress, um, and this year we're going back to make it stronger, and that has also led our group, Health After Race Conception, to go, and we are working with Congresswoman Debbie Washington Schultz to get a federal bill that will affect all 50 states. Because right now, mm -hmm. when we started this journey, there were 31 states that had um, either very small bills or laws in place to protect women or no laws at all to protect women. We've gotten that down to 25 states right now that either have minimal or no laws at all to protect women. And so our, our goal this year is to get many states as we can to get on board with our model legislation and pass laws to protect these women. Okay. Um, now, when we talked about this uh, a, a week and a half ago, or almost two weeks ago, you had gone into detail about a federal bill that will go forward and trying to get that get sponsors for the bill and get support for the bill. Tell us a yes. little bit about that interesting bit because that that to me was the most interesting part of this process as far yes. so far. Yes, we um we were contacted and um actually one of our members Anna Lynn was at the press conference this past fall with Debbie Washerman Schultz down in Miami to kick off the campaign to, for HR 2772, and that is the Rape Survivor Child Custody Act. Well, we got the list of all the sponsors or co-sponsors, and at the time there was 25 Democrats and I believe five Republicans. And so we started calling all of us in our group and some other family members of other race victims started a phone campaign to just let them know our stories and let them know how important this bill was to us. Well, we got many, many, many callbacks from Democrats. And today um, is January 24th, 2014. I'm still waiting for just one Republican to call me back. Wow, do you have names of those Republicans um, that actually, will not call I you do. back? Um, I do. And actually the the um the one that was the most upsetting was um 
Congressman, and I'm trying to go to my my internet's up now, so I can look this up. I am going to. It is. Um, I'm na- I shouldn't talk while I'm trying to navigate my internet. Sorry. <laughs> it was Congressman Meehan, I think, is the name. Is the name. Mhm. Oh, and. Oh, sorry. Um, Keep going. That's just me screwing okay. up. <laughs> okay. I was, <laughs> I was like, what is that? Um, Congressman Meehan's office, when I called, you know, I called repeatedly and left messages and asked to speak with the um, assistant that was working this um, bill, and I finally got a name after two or three phone calls, and then nobody called me back. Nobody called the other people back either, so I was thinking, okay, maybe it's not just me, and then finally I called, and I said, what is the problem? Why won't this, why won't this young lady call me back? You know, I just want to share our story and, and offer our help and support. And I was told, if you want to make a comment, you can email us at this Dropbox. Basically, oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I was very upset because, you know, I am a member. You know, I am a I am a voting Republican. I may not be in that person district, but this could affect our family greatly. So we, we really have, you know, uh, the passion for this bill and the fact that they didn't even – to care to, you know, call us back and email or anything to any of any of us in our group that had made, you know, reached out and made contact was very upsetting to us. Right. So for for our audience who didn't quite get that, because your audio is cutting in and out, and let me oh, let me sorry. summarize this for our audience one more time. Um, what Angie has said is that she is trying to move a federal version of a protection bill for uh, mothers that were that uh, conceived in rape and their children that were conceived in rape to protect them from custody suits and from contact uh, by their rapists on a federal level. And she has been working very closely with Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She has been working very closely with Democrats who have called her back and expressed support for such a bill, but she has been stonewalled by House Republicans. Not a good thing for the GOP here. Um, This is where honesty meets reality. And as conservative, I mean, as a conservative, I would say this is beyond the pale. That's why, you know, I asked her to name names. I asked, and we're going to continue to ask her to name names because this is beyond the pale. You know, on a state level, she helped helped, um, get this passed on a state level in Missouri. But apparently our federal representatives aren't as willing to talk about this type of legislation. Now, I can only guess why they are reluctant. None of my reasons seem to be very good. Let's, I'm eager to find out. We're going to follow this story. I'm going to find out why they're not contacting her back. But let's, let's get her on to keep talking about this um, and where the future of this is. Tell, tell us what kind of cooperation you have been getting in a, in a greater detail. You mentioned <gasps> Debbie Wasserman Schultz. <laughs> yes. Um, she, her office has been really amazing to us, and I know – 
I can hear the gasp of like, oh my God, this woman's talking Debbie Washerman Schultz. And yes, we are, because here's the thing. Um, we feel in our group that we're not a Republican group. We're not a Democrat group. We are just a group of women who are trying to fight for the right of mothers who conceive and rape. And we'll take help wherever we get it. And Debbie Washerman Schultz, the reason she got on board with this is because of the Ariel Castro case because she was mm. so appalled that this man would stand in open court and demand to see a child that was conceived in rape. And from a woman he had, you know, basically tortured and raped for 10-plus years. And, that, you know, that is the worst extreme of this um, that I've ever seen. And so that's why, what led her to, to put this bill together. She, they looked at our model legislation. They worked with Shauna Pruitt and Anna Lynn. And, you know, really have taken our suggestions, our pain of all these different families, and I think that they've done a really good job of putting it in this bill. And unfortunately, the minute we say her name, even the people that seem to be co-sponsors don't want to, I guess, help us. And I've got the names pulled up. I spoke with Tom Marino's office. Um and who else? I spoke with its representative Tom Marino from Pennsylvania, um, Patrick Meehan. Um, I spoke with him. And who else's office did we call? We called Joyce or, um, David Joyce's office. Never heard anything back from them either. And I think that was the only Republicans we contacted. And we've contacted a handful of Democrats that are co-sponsors, and they've all been wonderful. And actually, some of them have just called us out of the blue, their offices, and we didn't even, you know, go after them. So that's very telling to us. Oh, yeah. I mean, if anything, in this area, I believe the GOP needs to be spanked and spanked hard. Sometimes, you know, they do need to, I mean, for all, when the when you put the, when the rubber meets the road, I'm trying to find the right metaphor here. When the rubber meets the road, you know, you find out who's really with you. And this mm-hmm. has, I believe this has nothing to do with ideology. So, I mean, I'm not going to say this is, this is Democrats. You know, you know, Democrats want to pat themselves on the back for this. Okay, fine. But it doesn't necessarily, you know, slice with the rest of their ideology. Republicans ought to be standing behind you with this, on this, because, you know, it, orig- the idea, the legislation originated here in Missouri in on the Republican side. So, you know, it's not as if somebody originally on the federal level came up with this and the Democrats said, hey, this just kind of fits along with what we're doing. It doesn't, but I am glad that they've decided to pick this up and support this. Now, tell us again, I don't know that it came out very clearly, what the Mm -hmm. bill number is. It's H.R. 2772. HR 2772. So um, yep. I would like to encourage our, our listening audience to contact those, especially those Republicans that have not answered the phone, not called you, not shown any support for this bill, to call them and ask them why they won't support the bill when you know they're losing more than just an opportunity 
here to support you know women who have been raped and the children that are conceived in rape losing that opportunity they're going to lose the PR battle over this too oh yes because this is the thing I hear it all the time you know Republicans they're just rich white men you know what here's your opportunity to show the American people that you're not just a bunch of wealthy upper crust white men this is a this is a an issue that affects every single race, every single demographic, every single everything in this country. This could be anybody's mother, daughter, sister, friend. And this is not a pro, I mean, it is in my heart a pro-life issue, but to me it goes much deeper than that. This is a human rights issue. This is happening on, this is 25,000 to 32,000 times a year that women are conceiving and rape, and over 58% of these women choose to take that child, to take that pregnancy to the end and give life to these children. Shouldn't they be, they should be protected and, and, and uplifted and just treated with some sort of respect and just the very idea that these women are faced with the, 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 the nightmare of having spend the rest of their lives tethered to their rapist is just, this is unimaginable. This should not even be a conversation we should be having in 2014. Um, and, and these women, they should. They, they should be able to come out and say, hey, you know what, I want protection and get it and not be poo-pooed and, and just pushed aside. Absolutely. What I see is it would be very consistent with the Republican, or I should say conservative stance on this, is that if you choose life for your child you shouldn't be punished for it aha uh-huh. exactly. yes i use that word you shouldn't be punished mm-hmm. for it by being like you said tethered to the rapist through the child see the uh, you know i can see i can hear it I can hear the mm-hmm. pro abortion forces out there which makes you know which makes it really interesting that Debbie Wasserman Schultz is supporting this mm-hmm. bill but the solution, of, I see a lot of pro-abortion people saying, oh, well, then she should just ab- abort the child. You know, no child, no problem. But you know what's the so sad? sad? That punishes the child. Somebody's being punished, mm-hmm. and it's not the right people. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know what the sad thing is? I hate to, to, to take up for the other side, but they're not the ones saying that. You know, they're the ones fighting for this bill, Rain. All of these organizations that we naturally are like, oh, my word, here they come again, they're the ones that are helping us. They're the ones that want this to be passed. Because here's the thing, it's not about abortion anymore. The decision's been made. Right. These women have decided to give life to this child. Therefore, this, you know, this child deserves to be protected. I mean, it's just, to me, it's simple logic. And I've even heard some representatives say, well, we'll pass it, but they can never be on WIC or food stamps or any kind of Medicaid or Medicare for this child. They're not going to mooch off the system. Are you kidding me? I mean, right. seriously, is what you're worried about? These women aren't trying to get public assistance. These women are trying to protect their child. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, I I mean, I have to give credit where credit is due. And when you look at a child, obviously you can't say that this child should be left vulnerable to, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to a rapist, a violent man, 
who will do whatever he wants with a child mm-hmm. and, and take them. And, and the stories that you told where this has happened to other people, mm-hmm. um, our audience needs to know that this has happened. Custody suits have been filed by rapists, and they have been able to obtain custody of their children that were conceived when they raped a woman. And, and, and you know, and, it's, it's, it's a nightmare for everybody involved. It is, but here's the other thing. I know that there's people out there going, well, surely there's not any convicted rapists getting visitation or custody. Yes, it's happening all over the country because there's no laws to protect these women. And if there's not a law that says you're a convicted rapist, you can't see this child, guess what? They get that child. We have a girl in Massachusetts, 14, she was raped. Her rapist was convicted of, um, oh, he pled down to aggravated sexual assault. The judge ordered him to pay child support. Well, when he got out of trouble and everything calmed down, he said, okay, I'm paying child support. I want visitation. They're sharing custody now. We have another one in Oklahoma. Her rapist was convicted of rape, and they're sharing custody because there's no laws to protect them. This is outrageous. What do Now, you had mentioned something um, that... Rapists usually they plead down their charges. Mm-hmm. What do the, what usually yes. happens in these cases? Um, what we've seen and what the statistics show are in this country right now we have a three to five percent conviction rate overall. Less than three percent ever spend one day in jail. Most of the time, especially for first or second offenses, they never even make it to court for rape. They plead down to um, endangering the welfare of a child, aggravated sexual assault, third-degree assault, or any number of other lesser charges that don't hold it. And then, like the law we have here, we have to have a conviction of rape, not sexual assault, not anything else, not child molestation. We have a teenage girl in Indiana. Her rapist is a three-time convicted child molester, but in juvenile court. Therefore, his record is sealed, and he right. just turned 18, so now he can come after a 14-year-old child that was conceived in rape. But that judge and that court in that area chose to prosecute it as child molestation. So that little girl is left vulnerable to the system. Again, the same system that is supposed to protect these women is, again, failing these women. I think, I think the source of this is the, I mean, you went, when you go to court and you hear about these verdicts, you learn what is wrong with the judge or the judges in these cases. And I really think if you want to go to the source of this is the idea that you can divorce somebody's prior or the, the act, I guess, their criminal act from the present day. And I blame it on this type of postmodern understanding of life and meaning. And I'm not going to get into all that philosophical stuff here, but basically it means that you, you, things change over time and you have to not acknowledge in the law, not acknowledge what somebody did in the past as having a significant bearing on the present. And that is mm-hmm. just nuts. That is just nuts because when you have um, a repeat rapist, that the recidivism rate, even 
you know, after prison and coming out and all this stuff, anything that is sexual in nature does not go away. It doesn't. People can't just claim I've been reformed because I did my time and move on and say, now I want to be a father. The law has no – it isn't able to handle that type of claim, especially when it's false. If it's true, you know that that person will have to live with and live with the consequences and do the right thing. And that right thing isn't to say, hey, I want I want to reinstate all my rights because I, 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 I feel like I'm a different person. Claiming something is not the same thing as as paying for the past. That's just not. I mean, I'm not. I don't know how I can make this any clearer. But the past has a direct bearing on the present, and I don't see a lot of judges, given their philosophical bent, being able and willing to take that into consideration. We need to get rid of a lot of judges that are are acting on, on this, this type of um, philosophy. It's the same as when it was, it's the same as the little girl that was repeatedly select, sexually molested by an older man. He got, I don't know, less than 90 days in prison, and all the judge it said 30. to the little girl, it's 30, and all the judge said to the little girl is, that's life. Actually, he told her, actually, he went on further and said that she was more, um, mentally, she was more in control than the teacher at 14. Um, she was that, in control I mean, of the sickening. sexual situation. It is sickening. But you know what, I'll go one further, what I think, and I didn't, I didn't believe it until I really got into it with our case. And Rebecca is the one that brought it to our attention, and she said, prepare yourself for this. Jury is going to look down on you because your daughter chose life, and they don't understand it. And if the prosecutors do not educate this jury on rape conception, they're going to look at you like, well, if it was rape, surely she wouldn't have kept it because what have we all been taught as a society by our media? What have we been fed? That yep. no woman would want to do this. Look at SVU, CSI, all these shows. And they show this as being, you know, it's always the same thing. I'm not having that monstrous baby. I'm not carrying this demon seed. What is that pastor? The pastor just this week that said that any child conceived in rape is not of God. That's a demon seed. Oh, my word. say that. I mean, come on. And you know what? I have seen our family restored because of Noah's life. And when we go to church, you know, not to throw our religious beliefs in, but when we get ready for church on Sundays, I've never met a more excited little boy than our grandson. He has so much joy to go to church and to go see Jesus, as he says, every Sunday. So for anybody to, you know, to accuse these children and these women, like Rebecca Keesling or any of these other women, um, you know, that saying that their life is not worthy, I mean, that's just such an insult. It is, and, and you know what? It is a very hypocritical thing to do because when you look at how, I mean, just what you brought up, the uh, pastor calling children that have been conceived in rape, you know, rape babies or demon spawn. Oh, I don't know. He didn't say demon spawn, but I know that. 
He said demon seed. He said demon seed. Demon seed. It might as well be demon spawn. I mean, how is it that we can walk around and it's the liberal, it's supposedly the liberal thing to do not to judge people? And yet here Mm -hmm. we are judging children before they have even been born because of the way they were conceived. Complete judgmentalism. I mean, isn't that the liberal way? And don't judge. Aren't we people? Aren't people always being told don't judge? Well, here we go. Exactly, but it's sad when it's our side doing the judging. <laughs> it, it's everybody. It's every. It's suddenly yeah. it's you know children that have been conceived in rape. It's open season. It seems by everybody, both sides. Yeah. And, you know, wherever you, you find say, Say, and I can't remember how you put it, but you put it so perfectly at that training about about um, a child in the womb. You know, just be, the way it's conceived. You know, there's not some special marking on this child. No doctor, when they do an ultrasound, is going to know. Oh, this child was conceived in rape. That's right. And they're not. That's right. I mean, you can't we, tell any different. If people profess to be tolerant and accepting people, and they want to talk about not judging. I mean, this is, this is nothing but judging somebody based on the way they were conceived. We're not supposed to discriminate, right? We're not supposed exactly. to discriminate against certain individuals based on the way they were conceived, yet this is exactly what it is. Um, I, think, I, I think I want to tell our audience, you know, if you want to be motivated and be on the side of helping girls and women that have been victims of rape to support this bill, contact your representative, GOP or Democrat, it doesn't matter. This bill, H.R. 2772, is going to be a huge tipping point um, for our country in protecting children uh, conceived in rape because – this is they've been forgotten. Everybody thinks they shouldn't be alive anyway, and so they should be forgotten. And I don't think that you can um I don't think they can be ignored anymore. I think 2014 is the year we start recognizing the humanity not as just exactly. you know, not just of life, you know, life in the womb, but particularly those who were conceived in in violence and in rape and trying to protect them because they're people too. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I want to encourage, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I want you to finish and then oh, um, um I was going to say, and if anybody wants to get more information and look at our model legislation, we have it posted on www.hopeafterrapeconception.org, and there's also a list of all the states, and the laws that are in your state are all posted on the website, www31 states. 31states.com, and that is to the documentary that's currently being filmed to show what these women are facing and fighting all across our country um, to try to protect their children conceived in rape. All right. Um, I want to thank you so much for sharing about that legislation. I think this is something everybody should get involved in. I mean, so far, you know, you come up with this incident that happens to so many people, um, but not, you know, not as much because, you know, we need to have this exception for people who have been raped. Um, 
but it has now exploded to the on on the national level, and it's time for people mm-hmm. who say that they support life to step up and actually support it. So um, I'm going to encourage everybody to contact their representative, write letters, do whatever it takes to get this um, bill the the press it needs, the attention it needs, and to pass it. And I don't care exactly. if it passes with a with a Democrat majority or a Republican majority. I think this is without you know without any any partisanship, whatever. I mean, I think this is something for everybody. It's not a party issue. It's not because this can happen. This literally could be any woman in our country mm-hmm. that could go through this. And you know what? We are not. I've met so many amazing women conceiving rape men, um, mothers of rape. You know what? There's no more shame. I will not, and I decided this a long time ago, my daughter will never hold her head down. My daughter will never walk in shame, and neither will my grandson. He will not have a stigma. He will not hide in the shadows. He is the beauty from the ashes of what happened to Piper. I mean, he is just, he's amazing, and we love him, and I want to honor his life. And so that's why we fight for what we fight for, is to show how important, you know, Noah's life is, and, and all children can see generate. Amen to that. Well, keep us surprised of how this bill is progressing. I know that I'm going to personally see. Uh, we're going to do a follow-up story about this bill and follow it through Congress and see what happens to it. Um, I am just very curious about what happens to it uh, from here on out. And we were going to we're going to revisit this issue, and maybe we'll be able to talk to some some congressmen about it. Oh, I would love that because right now the bill only stands, um, and I just got off the Internet while we were talking, um, a 22% chance of actually passing. And the thing about this bill is every state that passes this bill, and the, the important thing to remember on this bill is there is a no conviction clause because, again, if you, if you force a woman to have a conviction, you put her at a higher standard than her right. own attacker. And the Supreme Court right. doesn't even use that. They use clear, convincing evidence, and that is the standard we are trying to get passed in all 50 states. And each state that passes this bill will get money given to them for um, education, um, for rape crisis centers, victims. I mean, it's just, it's a really good bill, and it's going to help women. And the best part about it is it's going to help save lives. Amen. I can't, I can't. I can't say more anything more positive about it than that. So um, get educated about that, everybody, and really contact your representatives. If not on the state level, also on the federal level. I mean, this has got to be. This was a loophole that needs to be shut. It's closed as far as the law is concerned. I think it's very important for two of the end. Thank you, Angie, for sharing that with us. Um, and we're going to have you, you back as this bill progresses. Whatever happens to it, we're going to stay with it. All right. Thank you, Letitia. Thank you. Have a good night. So I want to reiterate for everybody that, you know, this is what happens. When, when women choose life for their babies, we rejoice, and we don't want to end it there. We want to continue to support them, and it's too bad right now that in most states the laws don't protect them 
Well, you know, I think it's about time, like Angie, Angie has found. It's about time that changed. We don't want to punish women for choosing life for their babies. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to change the way we value the unborn <clears throat> in practical reality, not in theory. And I know I'm just preaching to the choir and I'm, you know, slipped into philosopher mode and somebody stopped me before I bore everybody to death. Uh, but I can't reiterate this enough. I can't emphasize it enough that to be consistently pro-life, you have to be consistently pro-life through all situations. And so, okay, um, I've I've kept you in waiting in the wings <laughs> for too long, Melissa. What do you think about that? Absolutely, um, pro-life is not limited to the abortion issue. It's cultivating a culture of life, and it's. We can't, we cannot um, uh, narrow that to one issue um, because there are a number of, of issues out there that uh, where death is is the primary uh, worldview. But yeah, this whole deal with the rape and rapists having visitation rights to me that's just a no-brainer. I mean, I would have. I would have just assumed that that is yeah. um, their rights are automatically cut off. Like there's that there's no uh, there's not even a discussion about that. Um, I cannot believe that 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 is uh, not already in place and that there's opposition to it. You know, or, or the lack of support mm-hmm. for it. Um, and I think you're right. It it is bringing up some issues about the the rape exception and um, how. Uh, Women are, they are, it's almost as if they're being encouraged to abort <laughs> um, if they become pregnant due to yeah. rape. There's this, there's this mindset that it, it's just, that's just the way, to, the way to go, that there are no other options and, and that the state's not going to help you um, if you do choose not to abort. Um, they're going to make it as hard as possible. So, yeah, that, um, something has to be done. I think this a bill like this uh, passed either on the state level and or on the federal level will go a long way to closing that loophole. And right. I, you know, there's there's trouble on all levels. We've touched on all of them. There's trouble on the judges' level. You know, I don't know what's going on in their minds that allows them to do this. I mean, I do philosophically, mm-hmm. I do. But I mean, to be to sit on a bench and try to be impartial in a way that harms women is to me, beyond the pale, beyond acceptable. Right. Uh, and and then, you know, for all of us to try to be sheep and take this is terrible. But, you know, the most, I mean, we can't do anything about it. It has to be done on the legislative level. So the most of the responsibility falls onto our legislators. And I want to say shame on those Republicans. Shame on them for not picking this up for not paying attention, for directing my friend Angie Grog to their voicemail, to their email box, and not con- contacting her personally about such an important bill. I mean, I don't know what's going through their minds because it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a PR disaster for them. It really is. Yeah, I was going to say, it's almost like they don't want to touch this this rape exception at all. They They don't want to even deal with it. So anytime it even comes up, even in this scenario where it's obviously the, in the best interest of the child to be protected from a rapist, 
it's like Absolutely. they just want to stand away from it with a hundred foot pole because uh, because of all the emotions associated with um, the rape and, and the abortion and all these sort of things, but without looking at what's best for the child, like we were saying, what is best for the child in these circumstances? Well, Debbie Wasserman Schultz isn't afraid. Right. She's not. And for all the criticisms I have of her and the things she says and the things she supports, this is, I will give, like I said, I will give credit where credit is due, and she mm-hmm. needs to be uh, she needs to be complimented mm-hmm. on her support of this, this bill. Mm-hmm. She really does. And all the Democrats that are in support of this bill as well. I mean, so, you know, I hope this shames Republicans into supporting this bill. I don't really care Mm -hmm. if we shame them into it or convince them that it's in their best interest to support it. But, you know, while they're trying to make up their minds, there are children. They are literally, okay, the thing that we didn't talk about that Angie couldn't talk about, but I can (laughs) is mm-hmm. that they are in court uh, right now fighting over custody for their grandson. Mm. And this is, re- this is like real. This is right now for them. They could, based on other cases, they have a real possibility of losing their grandson. Their daughter has a real chance of losing her son to the man who raped her. And he he's not doing this for any purpose other than to get back at the family, you know, yeah. to inflict inflict more harm than he's already caused. Mm-mm-mm. So I, you know, she's not allowed to talk about it. That's okay. You know, this wasn't this this program wasn't about their case. It's about the legislation that that has come from their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but this makes it all the more real that people need to get up and talk to their representatives and demand that they pay attention to this. Because some little boy out there is depending on legislation to protect him from a violent man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for real. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we're going to move on and talk about this, and we're going to revisit this again. I uh, wanted to move on and help wrap things up. I wanted to talk about this week. Wednesday was January 22nd, the anniversary, the 41st anniversary of the day of the infamous Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton decision. Mm-hmm. And estimates put the number of marchers in Washington, D.C., at about 650,000, which is amazing because it was probably about 550,000 last year. Mm-hmm. And it has been growing ever, every year since 1974. I think, I, I'm not sure, but I think the first March was 1974. Mm-hmm. And it has grown every year since. And there have been marches that have cropped up all over the country. For those who can't make it up to D.C., like me. But Providence, as Providence would have it, 
God did not want me in D.C. this year, and I got to witness something really awesome, which is a woman uh, who was visiting the Planned Parenthood here in St. Louis. She chose life for her baby, not in small part due to intervention from the Coalition for Life sidewalk counselors. And I don't have time to give you the full story, but basically the counselor that had saw her the day before I was there, so this was Wednesday, so this is Tuesday that I'm talking about. I was out there Wednesday. Tuesday, this young woman goes to Planned Parenthood, finds out she's pregnant, and has a literal breakdown. She leaves Planned Parenthood, you know, walks by the Coalition for Life volunteers. She is having a complete and total emotional breakdown. Mm -hmm. One of the volunteers helps her, and she will swear on her rosary, because she's Catholic, (laughs) that an, an angel came to help her do this and encourage this girl to let the volunteer get her something to eat, get her, you know, take, get her on the bus, whatever, talk to her for a long time, which she wasn't, uh, she was unresponsive for most of the time. She was so emotionally wrapped up. But finally was able to listen to the counselor. And in Missouri, she had to wait 24 hours after getting a pregnancy confirmed and wanting an abortion. She had to wait. There's a 24-hour waiting period. So Wednesday comes around. And she walks into the Planned Parenthood, and she probably wasn't able to find a sitter for her son. She already has a son that's two years old, walks Mm -hmm. into the Planned Parenthood, and they won't allow her son in the building. Mm. Because having a toddler around in a room full of women waiting to get abortions is a negative (laughs) motivator. To go through mm-hmm. with, imagine that. Imagine that a child in the room will discourage women thinking about getting an abortion from getting an abortion. I don't know. Mm. I can't really figure that one out. Mm. So they don't want her there. She walks out. She decides to carry the baby to term. Mm. So praise God. Yeah. You know, we. She came outside to us, and I got to. I got to get the joy end of this. Gave her big mm. hugs gave her information, and my good friend Connie Eller was able to drive her home because it was a freezing cold day, a freezing cold day. Yeah. And she was going to wait outside for the bus with her little boy, and I was, she was like, yeah. Um, Connie was like, let me take you home. And they had a great conversation, and a connection was made. She's going to be taken care of. And she's mm. going to become part of the pro-life community. I know it. So, you uh-huh. know, I praise God for that. Yeah. So on the day, so on the day Roe v. Wade was passed, you know, we saved a life. Yes. Um, that was amazing. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. I, I still, I got, you know, I got to, I didn't get to see yesterday, the day before, but I got to see the results. And, you know, I'm very rejoicing to that, about that. So as I blubber that out, you know, blah, 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 love, love, yay, yay. Um, so we're going to end the show um, a little early. What We had a segment that was planned that um, didn't quite happen, but I wanted to let people know that our stupidest thing ever today, we're not going to skip that. Nope, never. Well, maybe sometimes. 
but I have one today. Oh, you heard that a couple of states, Colorado legalized marijuana. I have a lot of things to say about that. I'm not going to get into it. But there was a blog written about now that marijuana is legalized, what would be the quality, you know, (laughs) I can't even get this out. What would be the quality of the marijuana being sold to different socioeconomic demographic groups? Who thinks of these things? I don't know. Oh my word. But apparently, uh, now we've we've quoted from The Root before, and all the yes. wonderful slaptastic things that get written on The Root. Charles Ellison wrote uh, this article, this blog post called Legalized Marijuana. Will white people get the good pot? <laughs> and he says, what kind of weed will certain populations get? Will market forces command higher grades of pot sold to some and lower grades sold to others? Suburban and mostly white teens will have little need to venture into the hood for dime bags. The legal purchase of, of quality cannabis could be one sprawling town center away. Could that pose serious problems for underserved populations? Low-income working and middle-class communities of color are already challenged by access to better housing, health care, and groceries. But what happens when these populations access marijuana mar- the marijuana marketplace for medicinal or recreational purposes? Will they be able to afford it? Uh, seriously? <laughs> of all the things to worry about... I mean, your commitment to, this guy's commitment to anti-capitalism forces him to write about income disparities and the, the being able to obtain marijuana? Wow. That's... <laughs> I, 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 so it's not about, easy just to laugh. So, so we're not talking economic empowerment or job creation or any of these things. We're talking about how good the pot is that one can get. That's a status now, a socioeconomic status. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? I bet I bet you I don't know anything about the sale price of pot, but I bet <laughs> you it's cheaper, cheaper than crack. And Whitney Houston herself said, crack is whack. So I'm going to go by that and say, if you have to construct some kind of liberal, uh, I can't use that, I can't use the word I'm thinking of, some liberal scheme about the disparity of pot distribution in the United States after its legalization, you know, that's, that's one loser of an argument. Right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's why it's uh, the stupidest thing ever. It is. <laughs> so I think uh, we lost Thomas somewhere along the way. I think his Internet cut out on him. So, you know, Thomas, if you're out there. I know you're going to listen to this. Have a good week. And one last thing. Oh, one last thing. I want people to know that Gimme Shelter is in the theaters start- opening weekend this Starting right now, 
if you have a chance, go see it. Go see it. It is a life-affirming film about a teenager that has been abused and wants out of the foster care system. That's the backstory. Mm -hmm. But she's also pregnant, and it's got great... We talked about this last week. I can't say enough about it. I'm I'm excited. I want to see it. Um, It's about... It's got some great actors in it. It's got Brendan Fraser in it. It's got James Earl Jones in it. And and the main character is played by Vanessa Hudgens, who I think has done a masterful job. The drama is really good. The acting is really good, you know. And I think it's worth it. So go see that film if you can. Awesome. All right. Well, have a good weekend. We'll see you right back here again next week. Friday for Pro-Life Fridays Radio. God bless everyone. Good night.